You're listening to the Networks Podcast, where we talk all things marketing and digital. I'm your host, Lisa Ma, and I'm part of the team who run the face-to-face Networks events across Brisbane, Australia. We're now bringing this great content to you, the listener. Each episode is a live recording of a past panel discussion, and so if you like what you hear... The magic of these events is still being in the room and making connections in person. To check out when the next live event is on, visit networksevents.com.au or find the link in the show notes. In this episode, we have a juicy conversation on content marketing hacks, evidence-based content strategies to increase your website traffic. Make sure you stay listening to the end when we cover off the panel's final top tips. Happy listening. Welcome to Networks. We love holding these events because they're informative yet relaxed, not to mention held at funky, unique venues around Brisbane. We're now in our 14th year and I'd like to now introduce you to your panel facilitator this evening, Elizabeth Gibbons. She is the Head of Client Services at Zero Seven and is passionate about helping clients maximise their online presence. Would you please put your hands together and welcome Elizabeth. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, full house this evening, guys. It's a bit exciting, isn't it? So first up, I'd like to introduce, coming all the way from Brisbane... We have strategist, producer, social media manager, and QT lecturer, Alicia Moore. Come on down. Let's get a bit excited. Yeah, exactly. Surprising right. Secondly, I don't know if this man needs an introduction. With over 35 years media experience, including being editor of the Sunday Times Escape, welcome Brian Crisp, the head of Sunday Queensland, a news corp division. Come on. Enthusiasm, these people are here to talk to you. Last but not least, let's welcome Britt from the Content Division. Her vast experience includes business marketing and Queensland Department of Education. So let's take a seat and get comfortable. So, why are we here today? Well, let's have a look at our slide. Today, we're going to be really hands-on and bring some great case studies and examples of how we can all use content better in our strategies. We're going to cover some tools and tips to analyze your audience. We're going to go over some content calendars, hopefully some you-can-do-it-tomorrow SEO tips, how to amplify your message, measuring success and reach, and lastly, if we have time and everyone behaves, we'll get to content shock. So let's get it started. So first question, why is content marketing still relevant. Oh, holding slide in the back. There we go. Why is content marketing still relevant? Let's start there. Sure. Um, I don't think it's ever not been relevant and I don't think it ever will not be relevant. I feel like content marketing, we've always done to some extent. It's just that now we've labelled it as content marketing. Um, And so I think it's a value add and a big extension of our products from whatever we're selling. So I think people aren't just happy with buying stuff anymore. They want an experience or some sort of extra element to it. So I think that content marketing really adds that extra value. And I think depending on how well you do it, um, depends on how well people receive your products and your story. Cool. I think people are more comfortable now getting to know a brand, Hmm. getting to know what a brand stands for and what its values are. And we all talk about, you know, paddock to plate and we all talk about wellness retreats and stuff like that. It's all a reflection of how we want to live our lives. So, so in, in telling the story of how a brand fits into your life, it becomes relevant to you. And it's relevant because 32% of every marketing budget is now spent on content. So that keeps me in a job. <laughs> it's interesting that you said about the paddock to plate thing, Brian. Um, because yesterday I was at Gelato Messina, no telling, and um, in-store content there, which is really normal and has been around forever. Um, they had, you know, the making of all of the gelato and all the other ingredients, and then they're like, go and see more over at YouTube, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and there was so many great things. So, yeah, definitely, it's always been there, but now it's playing more of a part in our lives. The other thing is, for some brands, it's not relevant or it's not right. So, really, just like all other forms of advertising, and marketing. Content marketing comes down to your strategy. And there's always many ways to do it. So it's not like 
content marketing is the silver bullet. It's not like TV ads are, but just like you could say, is TV, is TV relevant? It's relevant if it's in your strategy and if it, it's right for your customer. So I guess that kind of brings us to our next question, which is traditionally content was edited. It was tailored by news editors. There's a lot of people involved in the process. Um, are new platforms and new approach better? Anyone can start. You guys can jump in. You can fight. You can sort it out. Yeah. Um, I think new content platforms have just provided us new ways to connect with people and to connect with different audiences. Um, the traditional news approach was great, and it's still great to get through to certain audiences, but then you look at video content. And, I mean, arguably, news has also approached that area as well. Um, but video content and the entertainment level, and depending on what channel you're on... Um, can really impact your ability to reach people. And so, um, you know, whereas you might communicate certain things on a news platform, if you're looking at selling, um, you know, cool fashion brands or interacting with kids and stuff like that on social media, it's a whole different ballgame and a whole different idea of what you need to communicate to them and how. So, yeah, it's been great having the new channels and the ways that we can expand different things. And then those channels change, like, every day. So um, it keeps us all on our toes and to what we can keep progressing um, in terms of our content. I think it's a good point about channels change. And as content creators, there's no right answer at the beginning about which channel you're going to target your content to. It all has to start with the insights that tell us where the audience is and how they consume media and what the target of the brand is because then you can match the message to the media that that target audience actually actually works in. I, I'm part of News Corp um, and at the moment newspapers are, are really lucky to be part of a resurgence in the trust factor. You know, if, if you look at the New York Times and how its coverage of Donald Trump has actually lifted circulation. People are buying the paper again. People are um, digitally subscribing to the paper because they trust what the message is. And that's kind of working for us in the point of view of brand messages. So when Facebook had to apologise for their breaches, they did it in newspapers. They did it in traditional newspapers. When KFC ran out of chicken in the UK, they apologised in newspapers, because that's where the trusted audience is. So each platform has its own benefits, um, but that traditional platform of, of established media is actually you know, really benefiting from the trust factor at the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely agree with that. I don't think that content marketing and the ability for brands to do it makes that better than news. If anything, there's lots of room for grey and for people to be not very good at it and to lose trust fast. But that is not to say that brands can't nail it. The opportunity is that news houses or news publishers aren't going to cover the niches because it's not worth their time. So that's where brands can come in and take up that real estate, which is great. So there's lots of things, like my sustainable fashion blog, which... Um, <laughs> uh, Brits you know, list. Uh, yeah, Brits list, um, which would never be done by the Courier-Mail or something. They just they didn't have the audience for it. But a brand, like if a brand who did sustainable fashion owned my blog, that would be killer for them. You know, like I have 15,000... <laughs> visitors a month <laughs> and like that's traffic straight to their website they're literally looking for ethical fashion so there's an opportunity in that um, but then there's also you've got to be so careful these people do trust you and if you say the wrong thing that's not okay and they are doing it because they're not being held to any standards I saw it today I saw Mary Claire promote Kmart as ethical and I reported it to the ad standards <laughs> <laughs> you can't the ACC <laughs> over and out there we go and I respond to that. That was quite the statement. I think um, it's also really interesting to see how news is definitely uh, sitting in that content area from not so much a news perspective as well. Like, I don't know if any of the room likes Married at First Sight, but I'm kind of Oh, I think there's some math fans yeah. in the audience. So, yeah. we, we can't watch it right now. But... Um, <laughs> But it's been really interesting to see how many news articles come out from one episode. And they're literally like out 10 minutes after the episode is finished. There's so many recaps. And I read the news for stuff that's happening in political areas and, you know, government and whatever. But I will read maybe one or two articles. 
but I will read everything that happens about maths. Literally every article out there, I have to know what's happening. Was there some weird look that someone gave someone that means this? And it's really interesting to see how that's just become such a content powerhouse in terms of reality TV moving over into news um, and how that sort of progressed there. Good point. So I think, Brian, you've already segued us anyways um, to talk a bit about identifying audiences and tailoring content to the audience. I know you've brought an example along. Care to share? Thank you. Uh, here's <laughs> one we prepared earlier. Look, exactly. Um, the part of the business I work in for started three and a half years ago, and Mahindra was one of our first clients. Um, you may or may not know the name Mahindra, but it's the world's biggest tractor manufacturer. It's an Indian company worth $19 billion. Um, and they came to us and they sat in our boardroom and they said, we want to be where Hyundai is in 10 years' time. It took Hyundai 20 years to get where it is today. They have great ambitions. They have just brought out this XUV 500. They're bringing a refresh of it out in the next couple of months. They asked us, how do we market it? How do we tell that story? Now, we did what we do. We got behind the wheel. We had a drive. And look, it's not a great car. <laughs> you but, know it's the podcast now, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it will be a great car. Mahindra has bought Pinafera, which is the Italian design house that designs all the great um, cars that have ever been made. This car will get better and better and better. So we looked at it and we decided, how do we tell their story? Because you can't say that it compares to a Hyundai. It doesn't compare to a RAV. It doesn't have a five-star safety and cap rating in Australia. It has a four-star four rating. So what we did... Can I have the next slide, please? We looked at what's the story behind them, what makes them different. And it's, it's a company that's owned by Anand Mahindra. Anand Mahindra is an industrialist in India... He believes that the only way he can change Indian culture is through the education of women. So he pays personally for 10,000 girls to go to school in India every year. In India, in regional schools, there are toilets for boys, but there are not toilets for girls. Girls go to the toilet in the river. Anand Mahindra has built 4,000 toilet blocks for girls... He believes that educating women, young girls, is the only way that India can become an enlightened country. Next slide, please. 75% of the decision-making about who buys an SUV is made by women. So if you tell that story to women, they will automatically consider the brand. So we looked at who buys SUVs, it's women. So we found a story that is appealing to them. Now, when they go into the showroom and get behind the wheel, they may not like this model, they may not like the next model, but eventually they will like the model and they will believe that this is a good car company. And that's how you match the story to the brand. Because at the moment, and what we do is we have Cars Guide in our papers, so I gave the Mahindra to Paul Gover, who's Australia's best car rider, and said, tell me how you'd review it. And said, okay, we can't publish that. <laughs> but we sent his review to India, and we said, this is what Australians will think of your car. You need to improve. So when we started working with them, they were our first clients. So can I do the next slide, please? When we started working with them, only 6% of Australians knew who they are. Today, 37% of Australians know who they are. They are now getting dealerships in metro areas in Melbourne. They've got one in Brisbane. They've got a couple in Sydney. When that figure reaches 65%, the marketing will change to become, you know, 7.30 at night TV ads because they'll have reached a market space where they can, where they can tell their story. But it, it's about finding the story that can influence change and finding the audience. So that, that's kind of how we do it. 
And what yes. we're going to add about audience? A little bit. Oh, I was like, oh, so I put the hand up already. <laughs> More on um, the story. I guess you haven't read the um, Mark Ritson blog about uh, purpose versus profit that came out like last week. But it's really interesting. If you are going to own a story, which is great, but you have to stick by it and not when it comes profit versus uh, purpose. You can't choose profit then because then you lose all your brand trust. Um, so, yes. There's lots of examples of that too, like Gillette. You know, they say they're all about um, promoting uh, less violence against women, which I guess is a good thing to promote. Uh, but then they charge more for their female raises. So there's lots of examples like that. You have to actually follow it up. So be true to your story if you are going to own purpose for sure. Is it faster than a tractor? <laughs> is, it, is it faster than a tractor? It's faster than a tractor, yeah. <laughs> Score, it, when? <laughs> And look, it's it's getting better, you know, and and that's that's the main thing. And and you know, they sold out the first lot that came to Australia, and the second lot I think are on a boat on their way now. So you know, hopefully it'll be a really good story to tell in about ten years. Excellent. We'll get things back on track away from tractors. Um, so we'll go a little bit ahead here and talk a bit about format with Brit. Um, what format are you steering brands towards, and why? Yeah, so I'll actually backtrack a tiny bit um, with audience because that's... Oh, a, sorry, yeah. No, you're right. It's the same It's the same thing. So, yeah, so talking about audience is um, a case study that I brought along, uh, which is about grey matters. And the audience for this is um, older Australians. That's not the slide. Um, <laughs> we're about to go into the video. If you want to just go back to the holding slide for a minute. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so the client is an aged care provider, so they wanted to be talking to not only senior Australians who are considering aged care, but also their children, um, also because anyone who will be going into aged care in kind of the next 10 years. Uh, so we did Grey Matters. Cue the video. purpose of it, well, there was a couple of things. So there was a couple of insights that made us kind of move towards this approach or this format. And that is that we knew that older Australians and that segment was the largest uh, growing area of use on Facebook. So we knew they were highly active on Facebook. And we also had done some research which revealed that older Australians don't feel like their issues are heard or discussed in the media. So we knew right there that their issues weren't being discussed and they were really active on Facebook. So both of those things kind of informed this project. We also had a very passionate CEO who did want to do something for purpose. So that was good. If you've got someone like that, that's awesome. So what Grey Matters is, is it's practically a news site um, where we get... Uh, I guess, influencers to talk about the issues that really matter to senior Australians. And it's just had incredible feedback. Uh, from a strategy perspective, this is kind of the top of the funnel. It's very much in the awareness um, for the aged care provider and it works as a lead generation tool because it does get a lot of emails, email addresses, thousands. And because that was uh, also an objective, it had to be really premium content. So there is other... Um, media outlets that talk to this audience think like starts at 60 but it's a very different game that like they're in because they're really going for clicks lots of traffic but getting an email address would be hard with just kind of news articles whereas this was premium content and it's really proved itself 
uh, to be a success. But yeah, get, engaging those influencers has been incredible and it meant that we were recognised straight away. So we didn't have to prove ourselves. A lot of media platforms would have to prove themselves with the audience, but because we had people like Maggie Beer and Noel Whitaker and all of these other people, I'm not sure if anyone knows who these people are, but the audience definitely does. Um, oh, hi, Kat. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the audience definitely does. And you, you can look on the Facebook page right now. The comments are amazing. <laughs> We talk about sex and intimacy in your 70s. So good. Well, this is my generation. Sorry. Actually, so this is my people. And I just want to point out to you that that generation actually lived through the 60s, spent their time high as a kite on LSD and and rooting everything that moved. So if you think about it, it, it's a real challenge. We we put Mike O'Connor in a retirement village. Mike O'Connor is Queensland's most beloved columnist. We put him in a retirement village uh, for a week and he wrote about it. And the story that he wrote, people spent four minutes and 50 seconds reading. The intro was was that the retirement village had to remodel the front counter because they were getting so many deliveries of wine from Grey's Online (laughs) that they couldn't cope with it. And I think that tells the story, that's the kind of retirement I want. I want to be in that place, not other places. So I think you're right, getting those getting that generation to tell about their hopes and dreams and their wishes is what it is. I think the trouble is there's a lot of people don't understand that this was actually the wildest generation. (laughs) Yes, okay. There's no denying that. um, There is one other interesting point, is that if we did just decide to start writing about things that were issues that they face, like um, or things they want to be talking about, like euthanasia and like dementia, we'd be up against every other source on the internet. So imagine trying to rank for euthanasia with a, a site that's just been published. It would never happen. So by putting a name on that just meant that we were instantly recognised and we could start building um, that brand and attracting an audience. I know we have a question, but we'll hold off to the end, so... Not ignoring you, just hold on. <laughs> Good question. Is there anything else you want to say, Britt, about Grey Matters? We're nominated for an award. It's tomorrow night, and it's uh, the Mumbrella ComsCon Awards, so that's exciting. We're off to Ooh, Sydney tomorrow. Round of applause for that. Woo. National recognition. So if it's okay with you, Britt, we're going to move ahead. That's all good. All right. Do you still want to talk about your slide, or is that for another question? Which one? Do you have another slide? This one? This is for... Um, Something else. Okay. Hide the slide. Wrong question. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that Get slide's for. Yeah. Okay. So we've already discussed called content's relevant, valuable. It's great to know your audience. Um, so diving down into the day-to-day of what it's like to be a content creator, let's talk about content calendars. So we'll go down the line. I think we'll have Brian first because I think you're the first slide. So look we, look, we work with a lot of brands planning content a month in advance we, you know, we also come from a news background, so we, we prepare our clients that the news agenda will often shape, shape the content and you need to be part of the conversation rather than lagging behind the conversation. But the thing I get my team to work on is, is consistency of message, consistency of language. We spend a lot of time building tone of voice documents so that mm. no matter who creates content, it looks and reads and sounds the same. We also spend a lot of time understanding, again, the audience and who we're going to amplify this to and also spending a, a lot of time with the client saying, what, how do you view success? Because mm. content is often like the thing you do and people go, we don't know if it worked. So if you can get that part of the question determined first and the result, you can tell, tell whether it worked and that's what comes back to measurement. Now, at the end of it, we, we give everybody... You know, here's, here's your data that says what the content did for you. How many clicks to your website, you know, how, how long people spent on it and stuff like that. And that's what gets them to understand the value of it. Because often in a marketing mix, content is the first thing people will drop because mm. they'll go, there's no real metrics. Good point. Off to Alicia. You um, are the content queen. Yes. Um, I guess in terms of a content calendar tool, it really depends on how much you have to say and then how many people you have to work with. If it was just me and I was writing a couple of blog posts um, per 
week or month or whatever it is for a client, it's something, um, next slide, that I could manage quite easily. Um, and so with Corporate Traveller, one of our um, Serotonin's clients, uh, we have this master Excel spreadsheet that someone at Corporate Traveller has set up, which is just fantastic. Um, and it has all of our content separated out and everyone who it's assigned to and that sort of thing. Um, when I worked at Black Milk, we used a Redmine instance and all of us had different um, tasks assigned to us for things that we had to do, deadlines, all that sort of thing. And then the mother of all content calendars has to be co-schedule. And I haven't worked for a company that's willing enough to spend that money on it just yet, but that is my dream. Um, <laughs> and it's um, a really, really comprehensive platform with workflows and team management and assigning different tools and that sort of thing. So that is a, probably like the epitome of content calendar tools in my eyes um, and if anyone has worked with it or has a brand that works with it right now please come and talk to me about it um, and next slide for me and I think you can spend as much or as little on tools but if you don't have people who are going to deliver on it then there's really no point um, you can comfortably do a lot of content management and your workflow management within an Excel spreadsheet but if your team aren't reading it and if you can't rely on them to deliver the stuff when you need them to then it's all a waste of time. So, um, yeah, having people you can rely on to deliver is definitely the key part of any content tool. Real talk. Yeah. Brett? Yeah, I'll add a tiny bit. Um, totally, you can just use an Excel spreadsheet, which is awesome. Um, it comes down to, I guess, if you can even plan your content, because in some uh, cases you totally can. Maybe you know exactly what you're going to post about, like something to do with Easter, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but sometimes you have to be really reactive and that could be the nature of your whole content platform. So it'll be like something just happened and like imagine being the Batuta advocate and trying to have a content calendar. You couldn't do it. Uh, but we use Trello and that's awesome. Excellent. So part of the calendar process is not only what the content will be, but how you'll amplify your message. I know that Alicia, you've asked me this before. Oh, that's a great blog post. Who are you going to tell? And I was like, I don't know. I just put it on the website. I don't care. Um, so am I correct in thinking the content is only as good as how you amplify it? Let's start with you, Britt. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> for like, sure. Boom. Definitely. They used to say, build it, and you were well, they, build it and they will come. And that was about websites. It was like, oh, I put my website up. Now I'm waiting for the traffic. And then they're like, no, no, you have to do content. And so then people did content. And they're like, they're still not coming to the website. Of course they're not. You've got to amplify your content. You have to put it out, whether that's through your owned email assets or through your uh, socials or through network, which is really cool. Um, and there's a really great quote, which is, an ally in creation is an ally in promotion. And this is works mostly in B2B. And it's pretty much, if you're going to write a tips article, for example, ask 10 people in your network for their top tips because they will all share it and all of a sudden you've got this huge network. So for B2B, that is gold. Even if it's not tips, even if you just, you're writing anything about anything, get someone's opinion and they're going to share it to their network. So that is awesome. Um, it's not so relevant for B2C, but because Facebook has such great interest targeting, it is a really a, a cost-efficient way of getting your message out there. Anything to add, Brian, before we go to Alicia? She's got slides. You do have to pay to play. <laughs> and, and you yes. get in front of as many people as as much money you have. I have to pay Google. Yeah. And no, you have to pay Facebook at least. Oh, pay Facebook. Okay, different Maybe person. Google yeah. as well. So we'll go on to Alicia, who has a case study about amplifying your message. Sure. I think um, if you get to a point where you're not bothering to amplify your content, it's kind of like shouting your achievements in an empty room. Um, and no one's there to hear it. No one cares. And so what's the point of us doing it? Um, when I worked for Sylvia P, which is a kids' activewear brand, or if any of you have done gymnastics as a kid, you probably know who they are. Um, but they had a whole different range of customers. Um, so they had their practice wear, which is more like your normal athletic wear. Um, then they had the wholesale customer for that. They had a team wear end customer, which was the ones who actually wore their competition leotards. And then they had the teams as well. So there was a whole different range of audiences that we had to talk to and then within that we also had a blend of whether we were talking to the mother or the child um, because mum set up Instagrams for their kids but obviously there weren't always the kids chatting on it sometimes it was the parents usually you could tell by the level of spelling um, as to whether or not you were talking to the kid um, and next slide for me and so we had to figure out what we had to say to these different customers 
So there was, um, obviously the brand story was a big one across it. So it was a company that had been around for about 20 years and they had come out of um, Sylvia Sylvia Pete, who's actually a person, um, needing uniforms for her daughter for doing gymnastics and everything was really boring. And so she picked up a sewing machine and some fabric and started making something and so they manufacture in Brisbane as well, which is fantastic. So there was lots about the manufacturing story. And then for collections that we had, we had to talk about that to the end customer for practice wear as well as the wholesale customer. So there was a whole different range of messages and stories that we needed to tell those different um, audiences. Next slide. And so in terms of how we reached them, there were a bunch of different tools that we used and we used all of them very differently as well. So when we were looking at more of the B2B customer for the wholesale, it was a lot of lead nurturing and telling them the right story and the right messages at the right time. But when it came to the likes of our end customer, um, the mums wanted to know information about how you know they were manufactured and whether or not they were made in Australia, um, whether they were ethical and and all these sorts of things. And then the kids just wanted to know that they were going to look really cool. Um, And so it was an interesting blend on how we had to communicate those. Um, But because we, it it was an early sort of start for the brand in terms of their marketing, they didn't have the organic growth that a lot of, um, or the organic reach, sorry, that a lot of other companies have will still sort of enjoy it somewhat in Facebook. And so it was a big pay-to-play situation um, and a lot of tweaking and a lot of working with our SEM agency um, for the paid advertising as well because otherwise we just never would have reached anyone um, because unfortunately the 13-year-olds that were sharing our content maybe had, you know, like 10 friends or something like that. (laughs) So it wasn't that helpful in terms of um, that reach. Next slide. So we created a bunch of content out of that. Um, We had to have some must-haves, so a brand video was really key for us. Um, And then as well as a manufacturing story video. So we had, um, and I sold it into the managing director as I needed him to do like a MTV crib style video um, to walk everyone around the manufacturing floor and talk about the different elements. Um, And so we did that and we had different cuts and then we had collection videos and behind the scenes and teaser videos. Um, And it was great because then a lot of the mums would tell us that We'd drop the videos at about 2.30 in the afternoon and they'd always go and pick the kids up and then they'd watch the video in the car um, while they were just waiting for them to pick them up or once the kids got there. So um, it was all about timing as well for that particular audience because during the middle of the day, nobody spoke to us. Um, So there was a lot of outside of hours uh, communication through that. And then next slide. And then I guess... The, the key takeaway for any of this is no one really knows the exact recipe of what channels work and if they tell you that they do, they're lying. Um, because it's a test and try situation for every audience and depending on how saturated your industry is and how much you have to spend, um, but you need to set those expectations with management on day one because I find with a lot of, and I, you guys probably have experienced it too, sometimes people going in being like, you know, we want a content marketing strategy because we need to sell X amount of things. And that's just not what a content strategy is for. It's a long haul. Um, If you want money, do a promotion. Um, Next slide. But out of all of that build-up and um, content with a lot of heavy work from the sales team, um, we increased our overall practice where customers' um, sales were 100% up year on year for our best month. Um, We ended up having 15 new wholesalers. This was over about a six-month period and then um, 25 new teams as well. So it was a big win for us, but without that content and that storytelling because that story was so key, um, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So thank you. Very powerful. You went from saying, oh, content strategy, don't have big hopes and dreams, then you pull out a results line like that, like, oh, just 100%. I just wanted to let everyone know how great it was. But... (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I guess it's a pretty impressive result. Yeah, it it depends on the client too. Like um, at Serotonin, we do a lot of work with um, B2B clients in the corporate travel space and their their main thing is just getting people to talk to them and Mm, interact with them. Engage. And so they don't want their sales whatsoever because... Like they want leads at the end of the day, but that's not really the point of the content. The content is that continual touch point with them and the sales team absolutely love that content because then they have a reason to talk to their customers without being like you by now. So it's a nice thing for them to sort of slip into the conversation. Different objectives Yeah, your content strategy. So I guess one thing I think people are quite keen on, I know Brian, you're excited to hear about SEO. 
and what we can do to make Google notice us, because I guess I'm one of those people who's like, I post a blog post, like what else do you want from me? But apparently there's things I could be doing better from an SEO perspective to get my content noticed. So we're going to pass it down to Britt. Cool. Yes, fun. I love SEO. I love Google Analytics. It's oh, my favorite. Um, so these things actually do matter. I know that when you talk to an SEO agency, it seems like they're talking like, yeah, you don't understand what they're talking about. But th there are a few things that you can do so easily, which is making sure that your titles are answering the question that you want to rank for and that your URL says something different probably to answer the same question. Um, that you've got metadata in the page, that you've got the keywords in your copy but not packed. Um, you have alt text in your images, so Google can read the page um, and everything like that. Also, like once you've done that, that's great, but at the end of the day, people need to stay there. So if people find your website like that, which I'll explain won't happen in a second, um, then you need to keep them there because the other thing is that Google wants time on page. So that, that's like the most important thing. You become relevant when the title's the right thing, the headings within the copy are right and people are staying on your website for eight minutes at a time reading this content, then all of a sudden you are the most relevant result. So if you do pack your, like, your copy with keywords and it's not fun to read and it's not very good but it's answering all the SEO stuff, they won't stay. It's not going to work. So um, that beats everything really. If, if people read your content, that's why video is great, having video on your website within your blogs. It's really good. They watch the video. They're on your site for a really long time. Um, so that's really good. Some examples for if you've already done your blog and now you want to go back and like optimize it for SEO, great idea. Um, so you can do that and some examples are with Stake School, which is a platform that we manage. We noticed that one of the blogs was ranking really well. It was um, like, this is just one example, but there's lots, but it was like, should you freeze beef? Actually, that should probably cue my old slide. <laughs> is that okay? Can you cue the... Um, the one we neglected oh, back in the yeah, day. Sorry. Um, so there was, should you freeze beef? But I realized when I went to Google Analytics and I went to Search Console that people were actually searching, should ah, you freeze steak? Um, so I was like, oh, okay. What they're really looking for is, should you freeze steak? And they're finding my article. So then I went and changed it um, to, should you freeze steak? And now it's doing just way better. So it was already doing well, but now it's doing way better. So I don't know if everyone knows what um, Search Console is, but it's within Google Analytics and you've got to set it up in there. It's not hard. Um, so yeah, and you can do that with like all of your content and I definitely do that on Brit's list and it is amazing. You know, I found that people were going to my ethical um, sleepwear article because they were searching for organic cotton sleepwear. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go and make a blog about organic cotton sleepwear. Um, and it's not ranking as well yet because there's so much audience that's already been to the other one, but people are going through to it. So, okay. And then that, there's another thing to say about that, which is just because you write it, Google's not going to send people there. So I've done this organic cotton sleepwear article. Why isn't it ranking? It's now the more relevant. It's not because the audience hasn't been there. So that's why amplification is so important because if they've already been there, now it's going to work for itself. So when you first write your article, you put it out on Facebook, you boost it for not much, it gets traffic, they stay on there and they read it and then Google will send people there. Okay, now back to this. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, back to the slide. Sorry. There we go. Um, so the question earlier was what the right format is. We never steer our client towards a specific format. It's not always written. Um, it depends on the audience. So a really great example is this podcast here, the Real Estate po Pros podcast. Um, this is a digital marketing company for, re for real estate. They knew that real estate agents are in their car all day really like driving around um, and they were time poor for the most part so that's where they could reach them and so they just gave them all the information they could through a podcast. Um, Blackboard Fridays is so cool. It's um, like uh, building your own company tips sort of thing and it's uh, our business strategist at Business Depot actually does it. Lands in my inbox every Friday at 9am. I watch it while I'm having my coffee uh, so it's perfect. I wouldn't read it on a blog and it wouldn't rank on a blog because there'd just be so much information out there. And if we get to content shock because I stopped talking, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that then. Quick plug that we have Business Depot at our next uh, Networks event, so keep an eye out for that one as well. Brian, anything you'd like to add to SEO? 
We spent a whole lot of money on it at Flight Center we when I do. was there. We do, yeah. Do you think, do you, are they giving us all the money? No, look, the, the difference for me, I, I get excited about... You just about, said spend all your money on Google. No. Now you're saying it's a waste of money? What do you want, no, Brian? No. I, I get excited about the story. I understand why this is, is really, really important. Um, but I always had someone else do it for me. Uh, Alicia? Um, I actually did a huge SEO project um, in terms of content when I was at Covermore Travel Insurance. And we basically identified a a couple of things. One, that we weren't ranking as well as we could for a lot of our niche pages. So like pregnancy, snowboarding, all that sort of stuff. Pregnancy and snowboarding. That's not unrelated. Not together. (laughs) Pregnant snowboarders. Um, Niche. Um, And so um, we basically went and had a look and went, okay, well, we need to rewrite a lot of this work. Um, and make it more comprehensive. But at the same time, we also noticed that on product review, we were getting a lot of complaints from people um, about that, you know, we didn't pay their claim or something like that. And a lot of the time that they weren't legitimate complaints because they had never read their product disclosure statement or, you know, actually looked at what they were ever covered for. And so we got lots of complaints like, this is just un-Australian and all those (laughs) sorts of things, um, which was super fun. And so we had a look at all of those complaints that weren't legitimate and noticed that there was um, definitely a issue in terms of literacy for those complaints. So people always had um, spelling errors, grammar errors. They were just really, really angry or they just didn't know how to write things. And so <laughs> we took that information and went, okay, well, we need to make sure we're pulling all of that inf- important info out of our product disclosure statement, sticking it into the website and making sure it's at a readable level. And there's a tool that I um, have a chat to you about in my final tip later. But um, it's called Readable, and basically it assesses your copy and gives you a grade-level reading um, for your content. So it'll tell you whether or not someone in grade 8 or grade 10 or grade 12 can read your content. And that's really helpful from a comprehension level um, when it comes to the really complex products. And, of course, because it's easy to understand and there's lots of content on the page, Google really loves it. And so we ended up sitting in position zero or position one for a lot of those um, niche pages. That's a great example of, I guess, noticing your content and your users and your audience and retailing it towards them based on what they presented to you. Excellent. So um, now that our content's in the wild, we've SEO optimized it because we're so clever. How do you measure its success? I know we touched on this earlier, but I think um, it differs depending on the content and I'm sure there's a couple of metrics that you all use regularly. So back down to Brit. Or no. Yes, do you have a slide? Yes, do you have a slide? Woo. Okay. Google Analytics again, my favorite thing. Um, Where's so, your Google t-shirt? I know, right? Forgot Just it. analytics. Um, so yes, of course, you can use Google Analytics and it's really good and you should. Make sure people are reading it. Make sure you're looking at their time on page, their scroll to content bottom, because that yeah, means they're engaged and they liked it. Uh, your social stats, so obviously your reach, your engagements, the video views, the link clicks and the shares, uh, the paid social stuff, as Brian said, you have to pay to play. You don't have to pay much though, which I think is awesome because it's so Unless niche. you're on LinkedIn. <laughs> don't do that. No, yeah, no Facebook and yeah, Instagram. Um, so yeah, have a look at the cost per engagement. It will tell you if you're hitting the right in audience. So the cost per result, I think it's called, depending on the campaign. And and if, if it's a dollar fifty a click, that it's in the wrong audience or the content's bad. Uh, if it's twenty cents a click, it's good. So have a look and compare it to your other campaigns and see because you'll know straight away wrong audience or just bad content. Conversions, um, depending, of course, different objectives for different content. A conversion could be a download of an ebook, it could be a subscription, it could be somebody calling you, depending on your type of business, and then money for sure. Like, you, some of them, if it's at the top of the funnel and it is awareness content, like Grey Matters, we're not going to see the results of that in cash for a, a while. Uh, we will see conversions, we do see emails, but if we were doing things like room tours, for an aged care company on the site, you know, like fly-throughs and things like that, we can definitely see people pick up the phone, book a tour and buy an apartment. So that's, that's a very real result. Excellent. So we're almost up to question time. We're going to try and stay on time, even though we're not doing very well at it. So remember, keep your questions short and sweet. All right, two more questions to go. Brian, where do you think the future of content is headed and why? Hard-hitting questions. Look, I, I think, um, as I said before, it's now 
of every marketer's budget. So it's only going to continue to grow. And 68% of those marketers say they will spend more on content next year than they have this year. What we're finding, and I think what you need to look at from a broad perspective, is content is not just stories and it's not just social media. For us, content is the HR department's budget on Mm. how to be safe in the workplace. So if we create those videos, that keeps our guys in a job and it's great content. So you've got to look at a business in a complete view and say, what are they doing Mm. and how can I help them? And a lot of the times when we talk to businesses, we talk, you know, do you want to have five agencies or do you want to have one that you can brief on everything? And we can do the HR stuff, we can do your social, we can do that. So I think, I think brands are challenged for time and marketing departments are getting smaller. So content creators need to offer a whole of business solution. Excellent. And that leads us to the dun-dun-dun content shock. Tell us more, Britt. I'd never heard about this till recently, and I'm trembling in my dress. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, lots of people have probably heard about it. It's what people say when they get scared about content marketing and they think it doesn't work. So they're like, content shock, there's so much content. You're scrolling through Facebook. There's so many articles. People are numb to it. They don't want to read content anymore. There's too much. It's too boring. Um, and then the business owners is, use it as an excuse as well. They're like, oh, I tried it and it's not working for me. It mustn't work anymore. Your content is bad. That's it. Content shock doesn't exist. <laughs> it, content just bad shock content. doesn't exist. It, it, you, you're trying to maybe be everything to everyone. That's not going to work. Um, or, yeah, you haven't found a niche or you're not different. If you try to write a blog that exists all over the internet, you're not going to win. That's not going to work anymore. You have to be different. Maybe... 15 years ago, but not anymore. So it's changing. Content marketing is changing. You have to be better. You have to be different. It has to be strategic. Um, But there's opportunity if you are. And we kind of answer that question when our clients say that to us. We go, did you spend eight hours on the weekend on Netflix, you know, watching content? You found time to do that because you think the content is worthwhile. So if it's good content, they find time to read it. So that's exactly what you're saying. Your content's bad if, if, if your people are saying that to you. The cream always rises to the top, I suppose. Also, so- it's an opportunity because content shock, there is so much. People will ignore all the bad stuff. So if you're good, yeah, it's an opportunity. You'll get there. So let's open it up to the floor for the questions. Warning that this is being recorded. So if you ask a question with a swear word, you might get cut. No, kidding. But just be aware that this is recorded. So I want to start with a question for Alicia. Who is a question for Alicia? Back there in the black top. Coming with the mic. Speak loudly. I didn't stand. Stand. We can't see you. Hello, everybody. My name Excellent. is Georgia. Um, I'd love to ask this more generally, if that's allowed, rather than just of Alicia. I work with an agency that both pitches external content marketing and also we take on clients who are interested in content marketing on our owned platforms. And Brian, I feel like you did touch on this, but I feel like a really pressing issue with content marketing at the moment is disclosure, and I'd love to hear each of your opinions on disclosing content marketing um, articles or, or blogs. Or That's an excellent, excellent question. Who wants to tackle it first? <laughs> Look, as, again, it comes back to if the content's good, we're, we're doing stuff for Tourism and Events Queensland at the moment, um, and it's being written by Michael Robotham, who's Australia's most successful crime writer. It's being written by Nikki Gemmell, who wrote The Bride Strip Bear. You know, you can say it's commissioned content, but it's still fantastic content. And, and that's the thing. People don't have a problem with that. How we pitch that to brands and, and that, we, we just say, I just often walk in and say, look, you tell me what your biggest problem is, what your boss is giving you the biggest hassle about, and let me try to fix it with content. And that usually opens the door. Because if you can fix one problem for someone, they'll let you do everything else for them. Yeah, we just close it all the time. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. You know, it's paid for. Yeah. Uh, you mean disclosure by saying, like, this is sponsored. Is that what you mean? In so many words. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's totally fine to have sponsored content. It just has to be really clear. 
that's the thing. And I don't think as a consumer, as a reader, that you care. I don't know how you feel. I don't mind if it's good and if they're, they are respecting my eyeballs, which is so important. So, you know, they don't they don't put key messages all throughout. If they do, I won't read it and then that, that campaign won't be successful. So hopefully they won't do it again. I haven't done a lot in the sponsored content realm. Um, most of the stuff that I've done in terms of a wider reach or news has been more PR. Um, but I would say it just depends on how useful that content is to someone. Uh, if you're giving someone a home buying guide and you're realestate.com.au, they're probably not going to mind that it's um, you know sponsored or anything like that because it's relevant to them. So I think depending on your targeting um, and how you go in terms of your amplification... Uh, people who want that content aren't going to mind, um, but I think always disclose it. Next question. With a lovely lady in the floral dress, like to bring her question back? Excellent. Please stand up. Mike's coming. Hold on, hold on. Oh, one second. It's for recording, yeah. Um, I'm Nina, I'm from CanStar, Australia's largest financial comparison site. Um, so, interested in grey matters, I guess. Understanding that you had a lot of people sign up for email um, to, to receive emails, how did the content focus shift then from the website through to how you would then communicate via email? Yes, really good question. So as I said about respecting eyeballs, we treat all of the data that we take with respect um, and also there is there is laws around it as well. So we have to be very clear um, about what we're going to do with their data. So we say they're signing up to Grey Matters and they may be contacted by Seasons Aged Care. We're not contacting them through Seasons Aged Care yet, um, but we may use their data to say, to retarget them there's too much information about my client. <laughs> it is too much information. But I'm sure you all get the gist. There's lots of different ways that you can use data. It doesn't have to be to contact them directly. I would be very wary. That's like the disclosure thing, right? You have to be... If somebody gives you their email and they trust you, you have to be be careful with that. You have to nurture them. So if it's in the awareness phase, you've got to nurture them down the funnel to get to the conversion stage. You can't just call them and say, hey, you want a sale? It's not just a pile of hot leads is what you're saying. You have to respect them and no, go through they, the process. No, they could be. If they were downloading an e-book, yes, call them. It means they're like they're a hot lead, maybe depending on the ebook. But the about. ebook's like how to buy aged care. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's like they're they're really keen, and they've said yes, you can have my email in exchange for this ebook. But it's different with Grey Matters. We definitely we have to respect that data, so we're not doing anything with it specifically now. But we will. But it will be it will be nurturing them. We'll be nurturing them down the funnel. Excellent information. <laughs> anything else from the audience? Oh. Oh, is there someone in the very back or no? Well, let's try and see if we can get someone in the very, very back if he's quick. Stand up. Everyone's like, oh, I'm so shy. That's a question for Brian. From a large organisation, we've got lots of pockets of the business producing content, um, but we don't really have a centralised content calendar. So I'm just wondering from News Corp and other big organisations you've worked for, how do you get efficiency so that you're not doubling up on the creation of content and making sure that resources aren't writing the same story with a different angle? It's actually a good question and it's, and it's often the, the problem with brands being fragmented. It, it's a process, but at, when I joined Flight Centre, they gave me a really fancy title, but they told me that I had to look after content for all the brands and it had to be done through the one team so that we could use it on all the channels that Flight Centre had. So I think it's, it's almost that, that a business has to appoint a content director or an editor-in-chief, whatever you want, and that person's job is to examine all the content and make calls on the efficiencies. And if you, if you don't have that, you'll always have someone saying, oh, we do our own video because it's really good, and the other part, department will go, we do ours too. You don't need two video teams. You only need one. They just need, need to be good at it. They need to be quick. So I think it's a process of talking to the right people and convincing them to appoint you as the editor-in-chief and you've got control over everything that goes out of that business because until you do that, you will have people doing it different, away, different ways. I have one more question, Lady with the Black Glasses. 
Uh, I think <laughs> our poor speaker lady has to run around so much. Here she comes. Hi, Suki from Origami Globe. Um, I was wondering, so Brian, you touched on this earlier, saying that with um, Mahindra, they had to reach 65% recognition amongst Australians before you would move to the next phase. So for all of you, when do you know when it's time to move from brand awareness into the next phase? And do you have any tips on doing that? Sure. Uh, every customer takes a different journey, probably, in lots of different businesses. So it's just making sure that across your content strategy, you're looking at different areas of um, the customer journey, or what we would call it. So instead of having a marketing funnel, we really believe that with content marketing especially, and if you do good loyalty content, the loyalty will really influence the top awareness part of the, the funnel, could you say. So really, it, it, every uh, customer would be different, but um, you'd answer their questions at every stage. So you've got them interested in the awareness stage. Now they're in the in initial consideration set where they're comparing you to other people. So you're answering all of those utility questions. So that's when, you, yeah, they're in the next stage now. You're answering their questions there. Uh, you get to conversion. You've got the fly-through room tours. Make sure they know everything that they need to know. Um, it could be different different for all sorts of brands. Um, could be that uh, how-to guide on realestate.com. Um, you get the conversion and then there's loyalty stuff. So there's something at every stage um, and everyone can take that journey on their own. I think it really, like you said, Britt, depends on the client and it also depends on whether or not they have a sales team that will be able to determine whether or not what stage they're at um, because obviously for B2B with that area it's a whole different ball game because you've got someone who is testing the temperature of the client and moving them along the different funnels um, but in the more B2C land I guess it is about having that content there for them at every stage and people will kind of filter themselves into their own, their own funnel by determining where what content they want to have a look at at different stages um, of that process. And companies that grow too quickly, it's, it's almost as damaging as growing slowly. Because if, if you're not ready to deliver the product or you're, you can't meet the needs of the market, the market will abandon you and start to say really nasty things about you quickly. So you, with Mahindra, they, at that point, they will have dealerships in all the major cities. So they'll be able to cope with the growth. They'll be able to cope with the demand when it happens. So it really comes down to your own business. And, you know, if, if, and the honest conversation about that is, if I got you a 1,000 calls to your call centre, could you cope with it? And if they sit there and go, no, then it's too early. You know, so you, you go, okay, we'll, we'll, do, we'll work towards 100, 200, and slow growth. Because often businesses go, I'll take on another five people when I reach, reach this point. So you've got to be aware because you, you if you go big really early you'll kill yourself. So that wraps up the questions. Thank you, audience. Now we're time for top tips. So we'll start with Alicia. What are your content marketing hacks? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned before, um, that tool readable.io, which is the web address in case you want to find it, um, is just keep it really simple and make sure people can read your content. Um, there's nothing worse than having something that's super wordy and then people have to go back and read the sentence to make sure that they understood what it was about. Um, and, of course, that depends on what type of content you're doing, but web content I would always put through um, readable.io and just have a look at what kind of grading you get from that. Um, there is a free element of it, but it's only like $5 a month, so it's a pretty cheap tool um, for something that gives you a lot of value. Um, and then just be really comprehensive for your web content. So answer the questions before the customer even asks them. Um, have your FAQs ready and make them sure that they're easy to be found um, and linked from the, the pages as well because that's only going to be useful for your user and then also for Google. Cool. Next slide. <laughs> on that readable thing, um, I started my career at Fairfax and on day one they told me that you have to write so a 10-year-old can read it. So that's exactly what it is. That, that's how we were taught. The moment you walk in the door, you're writing for a 10-year-old because if a 10-year-old can understand it, everybody can understand it. My, my tips are get excited about the story. You know, you've got to have a story to tell that you know, people go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, that's great. So you've got to dare to be different. You've got to challenge the brands that you work with or the people you report to and say and, and look and go... 
everybody is producing this kind of content. We need to be different because people who are different and good get noticed. And you've got to think beyond words on a page. You've got to think, what's the video execution? Can I turn this into a book? You know, we just got sign-off this week on a TV show that'll go to Foxtel. We start production in three weeks for a brand. Now, you know, three years ago, we were running around the office like chooks without heads when we sold our first story. You know, so now we're going to make a TV show. So you've got to think beyond content is ever-evolving. TV show is the dream. That's so cool. Um, Brian said it, but definitely be different. There's really no point trying to create the same thing that's out there. It just won't do anything for you. So do something different. Make an entertaining podcast. Host an awesome event like this one. This is great content marketing. Uh, Make your blog different and amazing and just make sure that they're extremely aligned to your business objectives. So always start with strategy. Excellent. Round of applause for our great group panelists. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode's content. If you'd like to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. You can check out the show notes for more information about this episode and a link to an upcoming Networks event. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter and tune in next time for a different topic and panel of speakers.